welcome to Magic by Design. If this is your first time joining us, first of all, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Magic by Design is a podcast in which we are trying to watch every Disney animated feature film. Each and every week, we break down a movie from the Disney canon in an attempt to discover the secrets behind the magic. We watched Disney 23rd animated feature this week, The Rescuers, based on the books of the same name by Marjorie Sharp. But before we embark on our mission to investigate this Disney classic, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Ken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host slash brother Garrett. Garrett, how are you? Hello. You take a very deep breath before we start the podcast, and I'm going to bring it forward onto the podcast so we can have podcast banter about it. By podcast banter, I mean mock you about the degree to which you take a deep breath before you begin the podcast. Now you're making me self-conscious about it, Gar. I do it because I want to get through the opening gambit without any flubs or mistakes, so I need enough air in order to get... The, the sentence is out. I'm disappointed we don't record it. So you can't hear it. It's like, it's like the last gasp of air before you die. It's, it's very good. You're stuck in the cave and the rescuers. The water's going to your head as you get the... What was the name of the diamond? The Devil's Eye? Yes, as you, as you desperately clutch the Devil's Eye and the water comes in above your head and this is your final breath for your escape. That's the kind of breath he takes right before he clicks play on the podcast and delivers his opening gambit. And it is very amusing. And we had to stopped the last attempted recording because I laughed at it and now Ken's very upset that I've mentioned it on the podcast. Kerr, I threatened to end the podcast in the first few minutes before. It's happening. It's over. Uh, podcast podcast cancelled. We have to issue a, not a correction, but an update from last week. Uh, as we watched The Rescuers this week, we, we, we realised that The Rescuers Down Under is the first Disney animated sequel. It's very difficult to distinguish which of those films ever go straight to DVD and which are in the theatre because I'm a young person who wasn't around when they originally released, so I don't know the difference. But yeah, Rescuers Down under came out like 13 years later in 1990 and we will be covering that in future weeks yeah how many films between now and that i we're, don't know these we're we're into the 80s next week so i don't think it's gonna be that far the time has disappeared we were stuck in the 40s for like 15 years there was like like in the history of this podcast what is this 23 24 23. 23. So we were like, I don't know, a good like, I don't know, 22 of those episodes were in the 40s and then the other one is Snow White. Solid guy, care. That's, that's the, the whole duration of the podcast. And now like the entire 70s are gone. How many films were in the 70s? There was like two. There was two in 77. There was Pooh and this. And then yeah. that's about it. That's what it, Robin ha- Hood? When was Robin Hood out? That was like 73. And I think that is, that is it. There was only three, wasn't there? Uh, Yeah, I think so. There you go. You'd think we'd watched all these movies recently and we would know. There's truly no way of knowing. It's very difficult. It's not like we have a memory or, or even a, a, an audio record of our, our, of our thoughts on this film, which will exist forever or as long as Ken wants the paper hosting, I guess. Care, I listen to the podcast back when I edit it. It's enough. You do listen to my voice a lot. It's upsetting. I'd be upset if I had to listen to my voice that often. I guess I do have to listen to my voice that often because that's the voice in my head. But are you listening to it? Because as we know from listening to our own voice recorded, it's different than the voice in my head. No, mine isn't anymore. Isn't it? I've done enough audio content that it's the same. Yeah, for me, I sound different in my head than I do on the recording. And I think the problem is, is like most people don't hear their recorded voice often enough. So that's like, really, that's what I sound like? As opposed to me, who has more recording of me in the world than anybody could possibly ever, ever want. So I've heard my voice enough that I'm like, yeah, that's my voice. There's enough podcasts out there, Garrett, to just, if you died now, we could just have 
new episodes with just replacing you, placing together the words. You might have to get me to say the words of the Disney films, because, like, I have to... No, you pro- I probably said the words Hunchback of Notre Dame on, on some podcast somewhere, so you could probably make it work. Like, I, legit, I, I, I've nearly certainly said the words, and now I have said the words Hunchback of Notre Dame on the podcast, because I've said it on this one, so now I can say definitively, 100%, I've said the words Hunchback of Notre Dame on a podcast, so if I die by the time that episode comes up, you can you can just edit it together, I'm sure. Uh, Quasimodo, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Cathedral, other things. I haven't seen that film. I don't know. The, you Gaston? Seen that? No, Gaston is from Beauty and the Beast. I don't think I've seen. I've seen parts of Hunchback of Notre Dame. I don't think I've seen all of it. I used to have a dressing gown that was Hunchback of Notre Dame themed. I remember that. I got it out. Uh, my uh, aunt won the lottery and she gave me fifty pounds as they were at the time mm. before the euro came in, and I got a Hunchback of Notre Dame uh, sleep set and had slippers as well. I see you related personally with Quasimodo. Harsh. Nah, burn. Sick burns. Coming back to the rescuers before I strangle you. I had always been aware of the rescuers and and was also aware of people's fondness for it, but I'd never got around to watching it. This is the advantage of having a, a podcast about watching Disney movies. You do realise you're allowed to watch it without having a podcast about Disney movies. I know, but like at least now we have like you, you get around to all these classics, you have a reason to watch them. I never would have watched the rescuers were it not for this podcast. You wouldn't? Nah. There's not like, even no, with Disney Plus. There's no stage where I'm like, you know, even if I sat down and looked at everything on Disney Plus, I'd be like, I'm just going to rewatch Wally, which was the first thing I watched on Disney Plus, instead of watching The Rescuers. Because who needs to watch and experience new things when you can experience the things you like over and over again? I did a nerdy thing. I watched Steamboat Willie, the first ever Mickey Mouse cartoon. Oh, look at me. I'm a Disney nerd who watches the first thing they ever made on the Disney Plus. That was the idea. I thought it was cute. It and is I enjoyed quite cute. It. Yeah. I, I, I think I've seen Steamboat Willie. I think I watched it on like YouTube once. I don't remember it. Yeah, Steamboat Willie is... He whistles. Uh, he does the whistle. Yes, yeah, it's at the start of every Disney animated feature. Yes. Uh, these days, anyway, not before. Since the anniversary, wasn't it? Of something? When they... It, like, that, that intro was an anniversary intro, was and they just kept it, I think. 50th anniversary of something or 80th? I don't remember. It would be... 80th, probably. That seems to add up chronologically. Gar, as you noted, this is one of two animated features released in 1977. Winnie the Pooh being the other. I was going to make it. I was going to say it's one of Pooh animated because it rhymes with two and Pooh. I miss Pooh. Can we talk about Pooh more? No. Pooh will come around again, Gar. Oh, there is another Pooh. And there's also another Rescuers, so. Although Pooh is a compilation film, and as we discussed last week, much of the content was produced in previous years. So, you know, it was easy to release two in one year. Like, the standard was still every three or four years. Yeah, so this was the new one, and then the Pooh was just like, let's just make a Pooh film, why not? The Rescuers actually entered development in 1962, but was shelved in favour of other projects. During the 1970s, it was revived again as a vehicle for younger animators at the studio, but was then taken over by the senior animators following the release of Robin Hood in 1973. The strategy at the time was to alternate between full-scale A pictures and lesser B projects. So the B projects were given to the, the younger animators, but then it just, the, the A team just decided to take it. You said 1962 it was first in development. Yes. That's only three years after it came out. They didn't wait around. They were like, I like this mouse story. It came out 15 years later. No, that's only three years before The Rescuers of the Book came out. Sorry, just oh, to clarify. But the book was published in 1959. So that's like three years later. It's like this Rescuers book in England. You gotta make it. Again, it's a British source material, by the way, because once again, American stories aren't worth adapting into whimsy animated films. I was listening to a podcast earlier. Uh, it was Conan O'Brien and Rob Lowe in Rob, in Rob Lowe's podcast, literally. I assume uh, Rob Lowe will now give us a podcast plug in exchange. That's the way this works, right? I'm hoping so. But one thing that really struck me they talked about a lot of old Hollywood 
entertainers and actors. And nearly all of them, when I looked them up, just out of interest, I was kind of listening along. They're all born in England. So mm. this fascination with uh, you know English culture and English art has all, kind of nearly always been there in Hollywood. I guess the acting tradition goes back further in England as well. Yeah. Because like American history is... It, like relatively speaking at least in the the, the, the sense we know it because they obliterated a lot of actual American history but uh, modern American history doesn't have uh, like it doesn't have the, the roots in Shakespeare and all that theatricality that the, that the British thespians do the film was released in 1977 to positive critical reviews and box office success the film was also successful internationally uh, especially in France and West Germany as it was at the time why not East Germany did they not get it or did they not like it I don't know I'll have to do some digging for next week or you can report back to us. I like this film. I do. I like it too. There you go. You see, like, there's... If you go back and listen to... Uh, I think it was the, the, the Earth the Cats episode when I was giving about critics being like, it's a jolly good time. And it's like, no, it's not. It's boring and derivative. This film is a jolly good time. It is. Like, this film thoroughly checks the jolly good time box. It's like, it does nothing that is revolutionary. It does nothing that's like really thought provoking. It does nothing like really even all that artistically interesting. It's just a jolly good time. So get out of here with your mediocre films that you're calling jolly good times. This is a jolly good time. I think the film sets out its brief from the beginning and it follows it through. You mean that dramatic Bond intro? That's the brief? <laughs> yeah. Bit of a weird one. We'll talk about that in a while. Um, but uh, we'll get into it. Let's just get into the film. Girl. We'll Ken, Ken is such a stickler to his format. He's very upset format. when I break the format. I do love the format. I don't like when you jump ahead. It flusters me, okay? <laughs> He's like, I have these talking points set up for later. Why are you Because Ken sends me the script and I never read it. Ken basically reads the script for me live on the podcast and I react to it. Which it gets my organic reactions, Ken. I don't, I don't want to prejudice. I don't want to do research or prejudice my opinion. As we know, ever since 101 Dalmatians, animation for Disney theatrical films was done by Zeography, which had only been able to produce black outlines. So that's why we had that scruffy, heavy black lines and, you know, the animation, especially in the transitions, looked a bit strange. They had since improved it. The cell artists used a medium grey toner in order to create a softer looking line. And this was evident in The Rescuers. Yeah, there's times where it almost looks green screened. You know, when you see, like, the green screen pop and you see, like, obviously these people are popping from the background. It looks kind of like that at some some stages. It doesn't look as, as, like, blended as some of the earlier films did. But it also, like, the human characters don't look as revolting as they did in Aristocats. So it really does have that going for it. And some of them are actually meant to look revolting. Like, uh, the the, the Medusa and what's her her grunt's name? Snoopy. Mr. Mr. Snoop, sorry. Mr. Snoopy is the dog. Yes. (laughs) Mr. Snoops. Like, like they're meant to look kind of gross and off-putting a little. But even then, they look less gross and off-putting than the the lady who owned the cats and Aristocats. Like yeah. she's just melting, and it's just like, oh. like the movement and the frame. The frame rate is the normal frame rate, twenty four frames per second. Although now it goes between twenty four and thirty, depending on the medium. But the the movement with the the especially the the human characters was a bit off still. And I don't know, the mice were weirder. Though. Yeah, the mice as well. They seem to step off to me, but apparently it was the the standard rate. So I don't. Really but know. It's, it's just the way they were animated. They were animated like people. The mice, you know, the mice walked on their their hind feet in this film like it's just weird it's just it didn't really make sense visually to your brain and like it looks perfectly fine it's really nothing wrong with the film but it's just one of those little things where you're just like mice walking on their hind feet there's no like actual animation for mice walking on their hind feet because they can't do that they don't do that so when they actually do it in this film there is no like reference material for what that should look like so the way it looks is just kind of like jerky and weird and it's just yeah yeah i think it's halfway between that kind of 
scruffy style from the 1960s and trying to aspire to something a bit more sophisticated because a lot of the younger animators worked on it and as we talked about before sometimes you need those younger ideas and as younger hunger for, younger hunger for want of a better term to kind of improve things just new ideas they don't get stuck in their ways there's the, the phrase we do it this way because this is the way it's always been done it slowly gets thrown out the window and people try new things yeah so it's definitely more pleasing to the eye the film marks the last joint effort by veterans Milt Cal, Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas this was the fa- last film they worked on and other animators who stepped up during the production were Glenn Keane Ron Clements and Andy Gaskell who would all play an important role in the Disney Renaissance so this is basically the end of an era yeah so that's the end of the, the animators who fueled the golden era mm-hmm. we're in a bit of a transition period at the moment that wouldn't be considered any real no one can period. call Aristocats golden yeah that's outside the golden I period. will be just ragging on Aristocats till the end of time and towards the end of this decade uh, this upcoming decade we'll be entering the Disney Renaissance yeah where all the young people have all their fancy ideas and they can make Hercules films yes indeed this, this is interesting it, it, the opening is closer to what we would recognise as a traditional film opening today they've moved away from the title cards it's a Bond intro I, I wrote this down like, it, it's very much like a Bond opening and, and you said at the time are they spoofing a Bond film and kind of I guess yeah like it's like Bond adjacent they're like uh, like the, 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 the rescuers are MI6 and the there's like a schlubby janitor James Bond instead of like a sleek suave James Bond and the, the Bond like girl is actually like the driving force of the film really so the, the, yeah I, I, I think they're kind of going for a Bond like vibe aren't they like it, like that opening is straight out of Bond like it's Bond as Bond could be yeah but you, as you said they're kind of flipping the convention there in that the Bond girl quotes is actually the, the main antagonist is the agent well they're, they're jointly the main antagonist yeah they're good team which is one of the things Bernard I liked. Bianca yeah it's one of the things I liked about the film they were a good team and you know she picks him because she sees the potential in him and they they work as a team they never pull a rank or say I'm better than you and it's yeah. nice it's and there's, there's no like conflict between them it's it's always played for laughs like Bernard hates uh, he's superstitious and he hates the number 13 and all that stuff and he's the, like the nervous anxious type and she's just like oh it'll be fine love everything will go well and yeah. let's just jump off this building darling yes and he's like but the bird it could barely fly and she's like oh I love these things one of the things I noted as well here Garrett the backgrounds and the opening titles have a pastel look and you see that throughout the film as well but you also see watercolour that more kind of um, illustrative look like we've seen in recent films so they it's a little bit of a hodgepodge of different art styles and backgrounds but for some reason I appreciated that well it's in two different settings as well though so that kind of works yeah it's so like you have the city and then you have the kind of bayou. So like, I, I, again, you can see that artistic uh, experimentation from a younger artist uh, as an influence there. It's like Bambi and 101 Dalmatians had a baby. Bambi's also in this film. Yes, I think they reused a bit of animation again, but yeah, that was very much Bambi and his mom. That's that's what they call in the business, Ken, an Easter egg. Ah, Easter eggs before we talked about Easter eggs. Or it's, it's not reusing animation, it's putting the Bambi model in there as an Easter egg. We, we did uh, tweak last night there's one major continuity error in the airport where Miss Bianca and Ken Bernard mad about this. are waiting for their flight she's suddenly wearing a coat in one shot and then it's gone again in the next Ken was furious I Fli- wasn't furious I was just kind of delighted with myself that I caught it flipping tables he's like how dare this shoddy animation let this through how dare these young Disney animators not catch this this is not the standard I expect from my Walt Disney toonies 
I didn't say any of that. Yeah, he did. And then he, he, he broke my computer and he's like, we have to delete the rescuers off Disney+. Plus." So he's doing a whole thing. He started a campaign. He has a change.org petition where he's like, delete the rest. And, and to be fair, will you be satisfied with just deleting that that frame? It's literally a couple frames of animation. It's not even a scene. No, the whole film has to be gone now. That's fair. You're like the people from the uh, the video release. <laughs> the whole film has to be gone. Garrett, again, that's later. That's a, a, a fun fact for later. So I'm going to move on now. Ken, Ken will not have the organic flow of a podcast it's no. like everything must be segmented rigidly into its particular section i'm like the rescue aid society car we have traditions and we have protocols and we must follow them yes uh one last note i had here on the animation the the sequence of orville's takeoff was fun there you go i really like that i like that bird yeah i like that he's 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 a bit of a hack because he's selling flights but he can't fly that well he also doesn't have an air traffic controller like he calls into the air traffic control being like hey can i land and like bernard is like yeah okay and he lands what if bernard wasn't there is he just flying a circle endlessly how is he calling into the does he have a radio I, don't, I didn't see a radio. No, I didn't see a radio either. So who, where is the person? Is he the person? Is he doing both jobs? That's why it doesn't work? Maybe it is. But how is he contacting him while he's in the sky? He didn't have a radio. I question this. I did quite like the tin can versus the thing in his back that was served as the, the actual... The, the can of sardines? Yeah, can of sardines where they pulled the lid on top of themselves to hold themselves in. That's a plane. Yeah. That's the thing I like about this world as well. Like I always like seeing... like You know, we've seen a lot of these animal world Disney films in recent films but i like how they think about okay if i was a mouse you know there's a mouse society so these anthropomorphic mouses or mice or mice sorry mouses live in a world where they're they have a human kind of society what does it look like and i really like seeing how they come up with those different things i enjoy the idea of the mouse united nations so yeah, it's like the uh, mouse from argentina and turkey are all there it's all like, the how did they all get there i guess they got there via bird they're all slightly racist looking but that's okay hey this film did not say it has outdated cultural depictions on the thing so disney are, are okay with the depictions of the turks and all that they have put in there well different cultures have different garb it's it's not entirely racist to say this is how certain people from these countries dress yeah i, I did like that like, like they have the secret world where they you know they do their secret agent business and there's all these different ways like the like obviously they don't have planes but they have the bird who is acting as a plane and they have uh, instead of a speed boat they have a dragonfly who drives a leaf yeah you can't complain you're wearing your traditional historical sunday leprechaun outfit right now as we all do on sundays yeah. where's your hat car I, I took it off it gets very warm during the podcast that's fair as we said earlier, Guard the Film is based on the series of books by Marjorie Sharp, most notably The Rescuers, 1959, oh, wow. and Miss Bianca, 1962. The The Rescuers film is mostly based on Miss Bianca, the book. It, it tells the story of Miss Bianca, a socialite mouse who volunteered to lend assistance to people and animals in danger. There you go. That's, yes, that's, I read it. Yes, definitely. There's a, a strange note here, Gerard. The, the script's initial treatment was developed from the first book, centering on a poet being held captive by a totalitarian government in a Siberia-like stronghold. That seems like a very un-Disney film. <laughs> yeah, as much said, uh, however, uh, I don't think that would have gone down too well because... Get the politics out of my toonies. Not only the politics, but it just seems a bit grim for uh, a children's film. Robin Hood's quite grim. That film is about tax avoidance and jail actually tax evasion it's not avoidance just to correct myself avoidance is legal evasion isn't though some would argue avoidance should be illegal but nonetheless well there's legal types of avoidance yes but that's usually finding awkward loopholes in the tax system that's why our friend donald is in the news lately about his taxes and why we owe 14 billion in tax to apple or do we 
As the story grew overtly involved in international intrigue, Walt Disney decided to shelve the project due to the story's political tone. He wasn't fond of... Um, Getting the politics out of his toonies, Ken. Yeah, not enough Nazis in it. I mean, what? <laughs> Cruella de Vil was initially earmarked as the villain of for this film, but veteran Disney animator Ollie Johnston stated that it felt wrong to attempt a sequel at the time. So the idea So they just put her in there anyway and changed her name. Yeah, so Medusa looks like her fat, red-headed stepsister or something. She looks like uh, the... the if if Cruella de Vil and Ursula from The Little Mermaid had a baby, this is what it would look like. She actually looks... She becomes less like Cruella later in the film. So I, I, I almost got the impression they actually started this film with Cruella. Yeah. And, like, they lean out of her being like Cruella, like, in the back half of the film. And she's just kind of... Well, she's still, like, a maniacal, crazy person who wants to use children to get rich. Or, well, I guess, Cruella wanted dogs to get rich. And children, children dogs. Yes. They were baby dogs. That's true. Uh, but, but yeah, very... Especially, like, the early exchange and she gets in a car that's like a very Cruella de Vil style car and drives around the city in a very haphazard Cruella de Vil style way. It's like, it's a, they, they changed it. They, they palette swapped her basically. Yeah, but she is a lot more involved in the story, especially towards the end. She does give chase. She even has two thugs, except they're crocodiles in this instance. Actually, they're alligators, Gar? They're, they're the same thing. No, they're not. That's a trick Americans try to play on us by being like, crocodiles and alligators are different. Crocodiles and alligators. No, alligators aren't real. Oh, they all look the same to you, racist? Yes, they do. They do all look the same. I won't deny this. My prejudice against crocodiles. Crocodiles will eat. I think it's a warranted prejudice against crocodiles, don't you? No, I don't. Name a good crocodile in fiction. Croc- Name a good crocodile. Crocodile Dundee. That's a person. But his name is Crocodile. But that's a he person. Wears, he wears crocodile. Name a good alligator in fiction. The the crocodile from Peter Pan. But that's that eats somebody's hand off. Yeah. It's a bad crocodile. Hook is a good guy. What did Hook ever do? Garrett, you had your chance to make that case. The podcast is over. No, I already did the Cruella the Cruella de Villa's the good guy in that film. That was that was my other argument. Hook never did anything to anybody. Hook just wants some friends. Yeah, he just wants to be a pirate. Peter Pan living up his life with all his his lost boys, living uh, the high life, having fun, and Hook's just there <laughs> looking sadly through the window, being like, Can I come too? And they're like, No. There's also an indication that he's holding those children hostage and he may have stolen them. Yeah, maybe maybe, uh, Hook is trying to liberate them. Again, taking down the tyrant Peter Pan and liberating the kidnapped children. Another clear sign that Hook is the good guy in that film. A couple of is Medusa the good guy in this film? No, there's not much of an argument there. No. Well, well, we don't know what she wants she, to do with the riches from her diamond. But she kidnapped the child and then held her against her will and made her do her bidding. But she gave the child a home on a boat. Okay, she also stole her teddy bear as a, as a way to coerce her that, into doing her bidding. To be fair, that's only after the child did cooperate. But she didn't seem to have like a particularly unpleasant room in that boat. She had like light and, and a nice little bed to herself so I don't know Penny seemed to be living at large on that boat maybe if she had just cooperated and everything would have went fine Claire, at the very least she's a criminal for not following the proper adoption process but, but, but Penny was stuck in the adoption good guy argument. Your argument has fallen apart, Gar. I said this to you last night, Gar. You don't know who this is, but people will pop for this because legendary comedian Bob Newhart played Bernard, the janitor turned Well, you see, as I googled him, you told me it's the guy from the Big Bang Theory, and I'm like, who? He's known most recently for playing Professor Proton on Big Bang Theory. Now, if you'd been like Judson from The Librarians, I would have known exactly who you were talking about, because The Librarians rules, and I know Judson from The Librarians, the series of films with Noah Wiley. Probably the only one. And then it turned into a television series, which is delightful and was cancelled before its time. It was basically, it became American Doctor Who. So yeah, if you, had, if you had told me Bob Newhart of Librarians fame, I would have been like, of course I know who you mean. But you're like the guy from the Big Bang Theory and like Sheldon Cooper? No. Well, Sheldon Cooper's hero. There you go. So yeah. 
Get your references right, Ken. Phil Harris, our old friend, who is Baloo and Thomas O'Malley and Little John. Contractually had- mandated to be in nearly every Disney film. Yes, he had a role in this film, but it was deleted in the final cut. Ah, so he got paid, so I should be like, yeah. Nope. Do you think actors are like mad about that? They probably are mad about that, right? Because they still get paid for the work, but their work doesn't get put out there. I'd be kind of like, oh. Oh man, I, I don't know. Maybe if you're particularly proud of it, yeah, it's like oh, I'm really into that role, and they just cut it. They just took it out of the film. Maybe I was terrible. And then the the the, the other subtitles like, was I bad? Was it me? Or did it just not work? Or was it me? But then you get paid though, so money. Yeah, money is good. Uh, I wonder do they get paid less if they cut it? I guess so. Because like, but like, is there? I guess it depends on the contract. If there's a question of royalties, or are they signing away their right to royalties for a one-off fee? Or do you continue to get royalties? Um, was it? Damon Wayans was set to be Robin yes. in the Batman and Robin films. And I'm pretty sure the contract he signed for it, because they eventually went with Chris O'Donnell instead. I thought it was Marlon Wayans. It might have been Marlon Wayans. You're right. I'm They're all the him. same to you, are they, Oh, yeah. Like the alligators. Oh, I've been cancelled. Continue your point. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, yeah, he got paid for that film. And I'm pretty sure he got royalties for that film, despite not being never being Robin in any film. That's pretty funny. So yeah, maybe it's this, uh, maybe the I'm, I'm not sure how. Maybe it's a case by case basis. Maybe it changes. Uh, actor contracts aren't they fun? They are. Are they? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not an actor. I've been in one play. I've played I, multiple I, roles. I, I, you weren't I, even in a play. I did the lights. Yeah, you're just for, for a play. Your crew. I'm crew. I'm proud of it. There's a fireworks effect when they arrive at the Devil's Bayou. They use fireworks throughout the film. I thought that was quite well done. It's superimposed animation on live action footage, but I didn't like it. Oh yeah, it looked not? weird. A bit too realistic for you? I don't know. I'm watching an animated film, you know? I don't need that kind of stuff. Like, animate the fireworks, which they did in this film in a hilarious way, in which when when he kidnapped the child again, he shot it's like, I have caught whatever it was. Got girl. Got girl into the sky so Medusa would come back while she she was rampaging on her swamped bike, which is, again, another wonderful thing. A swamp. It, look, it looked like a... a- motorbike but a boat but it also had like a steam uh, or sorry a, a jet engine at the back yeah, it was like a steampunk punk swamp jet ski that she motored through the swamp trying to kidnap her children with great fun yes very cool i, I want one of those for myself Another note I had here, Gar, Penny is very salty when the alligators capture her and one of them takes the bear. So like they, they like one of them has Penny in its mouth and the other one has the bear because obviously her teddy bear is the bigger threat. Yes, you have to incapacitate it. I do like Penny. Penny has like, she's taking no shit from those alligators. No. She's like, I do not fear you. Put me down. Stop annoying me. I, I wrote it down and you said this last night, Gar. I, I said, I thought you said it very well and you said Penny has moxie. She does have moxie. I feel as if this story, besides the fantasy elements, is very grounded and very it's not that grounded well, the, the girl is kidnapped to be shoved down a well to grab some diamonds while the talking alligator is keeper actually no the, the alligators don't talk but the, the talking mice rescue her with all the like the badgers and dragonflies and all the other creatures that somehow talk in this world and all of that that's pretty fantastical Ken that's not like, no. like this grounded realistic yeah, I, story I just said besides the fantasy element so if you had this story besides most of the film it was pretty grounded if, this story, if you had this story with humans as the as the rescue aid society i'd still watch it no i like the mice mice. yeah but penny she's an enjoyable character because she has some agency over what happens to her and she tries to run away (laughs) several times and you know she has some really good one-liners as well she's also like a sad orphan so that's yeah you can't like not like her (laughs) she has a sad orphan song which spoilers we'll be hearing later Mm. speaking of music car this was the first movie since bambi to use songs as part of the narrative to drive the story so characters who are in the film aren't singing the songs that's the first time that's happened since Bambi. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So, like, I, 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 like, that's one of those things 
things that has clearly been the case, but I have not remotely thought about it. That it's just so it's what is it? it, it this is the first song to have non-diegetic music yeah. since Bambi, as opposed to diegetic music, which is incorporate, which is contextualized within the scene. Yeah, so it's just, I think it, it, I might have mixed those two up. It adds to the narrative because it's related to the scene, but it's being sung by external characters. Yes, basically, the, the people in the film can't hear the music. Yeah, which it becomes. Diegetic. It's diegetic or non-diegetic. I can't remember which is which. <laughs> the songs were all very pleasant for me, but a bit samey. They all had that kind of distinctly 1970s soft ballad feeling to them. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the music, but like it doesn't pass the can I sing it today test. Like I had a shower earlier and I was still singing Winnie the Pooh a week later. But I enjoyed the music. I thought it was good music. And I thought, I was going to say it fit the movie, but it really didn't. <laughs> like, no, it felt like they just wanted to have some, like, because some of the songs were nominated for Oscars, but it felt like they wanted the best original song nom. Uh, diegetic is when it can be created in part of the universe. Non-diegetic was when it's not. So there you go. So the, this film had non-diegetic music. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I like. Yeah, I did enjoy it, but it's it's we kind of tonally weird for the characters. Uh, like yeah. if they had been singing those songs, it would have felt very weird, even more so than it was. And it it did feel like they like transposed the Bond soundtrack on top in terms of like the the, the usual you know Skyfall kind of song. Yeah, I, I wrote that down. Like the opening credits, like if you. Put that in a Bond film, it wouldn't have been out of place. Red Sky, which got delayed this week, actually. See that? Yeah, for like literally another year, basically. It shattered theater theaters by all accounts because that was like the last they were holding, release. They were holding on for that, yeah. And a bunch of theaters in the UK have closed. Actually, they've or at least signaled their intent to close, but probably part of that is a bluff to get bailed out. Yeah. But um, yeah, so all the movies because like Tenet was the test, you know, Tenet was released. In theaters, as in, there's the New Mutants as well, but that was basically dumped. That doesn't count. Yeah, there's a lot of films coming out now that I said this to you yesterday. Either were meant to be TV movies or were shelved because they're like, we made this, it's crap, we're not going to make money. Oh, wait. We have a captive audience now. Yeah. Put it out there. But um, I think there needs to be a blended approach for the time being. I know the Broccoli family are very reluctant to do that, but kind of have it be a cinema event for maybe a week or two and then have it come out on streaming almost well, directly after. Well, you can leave it in the cinemas as long as you want. Yeah, like it, it doesn't have to be you know, for a week or two, but you do need to give people an at-home option at this stage. I think if you want to release these films and make money, because Tenet did not make money, and like that was the big test. Is a big Chris Nolan film, a film that probably would have made at least eight hundred million dollars, probably closer to a billion. It's made two hundred eighty off uh, two hundred budget last time I saw. Only five million in America, which is uh, okay. You know, that's all things depending considered, the I think, for the states of the world. Might, yeah, depending on the marketing budget, they might have made their money back. And, like, this this film will be re-released in a year's time. That Like, Tenet, this is not the last time you can see Tenet in a theatre. You can bank on that. But, yeah, it, it didn't do well. And people were all looking at it as the test case for what does a new big tentpole release do in this kind of environment. And it did not do well enough for anybody else. And Fast got delayed as well, as well, didn't it? Yeah, but I think that was already established. But no, it got double delayed. It got pushed further I think. Yeah, I think people even I twenty twenty two now just to hedge their bets and like make sure everything's over. But even then, we don't know. There's fewer old films out at the moment, which kind of annoys me. Yeah, I thought they'd leverage that for a, lot, a while longer. Like there's the new Aaron Sorkin film is out because that's that's actually a Netflix release. 
movies. They're actually doing what you're, you suggest. It's out in theaters for a couple of weeks and then it's on Netflix. So I, I'll probably go see that as maybe the last film I'll actually actively try and see in theaters this year unless there's something that tickles my fancy. But yeah, I, I, I like the old films, honestly. Yeah, especially if I didn't get a chance to see it in the cinema originally. Do you know what the number two film in the American box office is this week? Is it Jurassic Park? It's Hocus Pocus. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, because of Halloween. It was Jurassic Park at one stage when they first... That was the number one film. Jurassic Park had like it set some weird trivia record where it was the longest distance between uh, number one in the US box office. It was like 94 to now. 93. I think it got re-releases though, so... It's been re-released a lot it, of times. It, I don't think it was the initial release where it was most recently number one. Yeah, moving forward to the, the legacy of this film, as we talked about, we, we answered our own trivia question. It, it, it is the first Disney film to receive a sequel, uh, which was released in theatres. Also, a fun tidbit, on January 8th, 1999, three days after the second release of the film, it was initially released in 1993 on home video. Disney recalled about 3.4 million copies of the videotapes because there was an indecent image in one of the film's backgrounds. It's a blurry image of a topless woman with nipples and breasts showing, in case you're interested. In case you're interested. I wonder is this like... Are you titillated, Gar? Is this like a valuable copy of like The Rescuers? Is this like going on eBay for like hundreds and hundreds of euro? It appears twice in non-consecutive frames during the scene where Miss Bianca and Bernard are flying on Orville's back throughout New York City. Uh, it can't be seen by the naked eye when viewing the film regularly, so you won't you won't see it. It's only when you freeze frame it. A Disney spokesperson said that the images were added in post production, but declined to confirm who added them. So I'm not sure. Was it like done at the time when the film was produced, or what? But sometimes they kind of re-edit them when they put them on VHS. It's probably like one of those things where someone put it in as a joke. It's like, ah, and that's the person they that's the version they accidentally put on a tape. And yeah. It's like, oh no. Yeah, they they reissued the tapes uh, the same year with the nudity blocked out. But uh, as you said, I wonder if they have people out there who have their the hunting versions of the, the the horny rescuers tapes. It's like I want the horny rescuers film. I'm horny. In terms of my final thoughts, the rescuers has noticeably better animation than any film in the previous decade and a half. I don't know. Pooh has good animation. Yeah. It, it's it, it's contextualized yeah. in a cheaper way like they, 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 as we mentioned in that film they contextualize the cheapness but I think it's well animated yeah. but in terms of the overall quality I think they're they're trying to move forward for the first time in, in a long time it's more down to earth and grounded despite its fantasy premise as I was saying this uh, <laughs> This could have been a successful movie without the animals, Gar. I'm just saying this. <laughs> All right. I, I mentioned this earlier as well. I always enjoy seeing how they build these tiny animal worlds, how they represent the real world in miniature. So I, I just really love that. You see this in things like uh, Zootopia as well, or Zootropolis, depending on what part of the world you're from. I know. I was listening to an episode of the Game Informer show where Jeff Cork talked about how he always likes games where you're either a big person in a small world or a small person in a big world. So maybe that just titillates part of people's brains. Yeah, it's just there's something about it that's like the, the idea that this world could be hidden in our world that really kind of tickles some part of my brain. Because like the, the most, probably the most famous level in Super Mario Bros. 3 is this random level where everything is just huge. So you're just like gigantic Goombas trying to take you down. It's like, ah, the Goombas are like twice my size now instead of being things that could be stomped underfoot. So yeah, maybe maybe it is a thing people like. For me, the humour and little callbacks are sophisticated for a Disney movie. Building on the innovative approach to humour in an animated film established in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. What so, was the innovative innovative approach to anime humor in that i know just to kind of like the it was the first one that was actually funny 
yeah, it was funny. It was kind of, you know, there was kind of good gags. Um, the superstitious piece was quite funny. Or, you know, the, the the fact that at the end, when they're going on their next mission, it's Friday the 13th. Stuff like that. You know, just a bit more sophisticated. And again, the dialogue was a lot more snappy than in, in other films as well. Yeah. And like, as I said, jolly good time. Not all those other boring films that are just kind of boring in there. This is just a jolly good time. It's it's not the best film in the world. It's in that mid-tier category of film that's not essential viewing in pretty much any regard. But it's also a film that when you watch, you sit down on your Disney Plus and you don't watch Wally over and over again if you want to watch something different. This is the different film to watch because it's it's a jolly good time. For me, overall, it's a fun imaginative adventure wrapped in a spy caper with endearing characters. The film knows exactly what it's trying to do and it executes it throughout, building to a satisfying payoff at the end where Penny gets adopted. Except the weird Bond stuff. Yeah. Like This film is like watching a film that like has influences that you're not aware of. Like This film is inspired by things that I haven't seen. And like if you have seen the things that this film is inspired by, it would make a lot more sense. But I haven't, so it makes less sense, so it feels like totally a little weird. But also, it still kind of works. So yeah, good on you, Rescuers. Make your film. It doesn't quite fit into the James Bond genre, so maybe it's around other spy and James Bond Jr. genre yeah some kind of secret agent films or spy tropes at the time but James Bond Jr. in disguise is it in disguise or in the skies it could be either it's fine where, where is James Bond Jr.? I had a tape once that had like it was just one episode of like 15 cartoons yeah we still, we still have that it's, it's in our house yeah James Bond Jr. was one of them and that's the only time I've ever seen James Bond Jr. in my life like I actually think that that was the only episode that was ever made <laughs> Was it on when you were kids? I can't remember. I don't, I don't remember. That tape is the only time I remember it. Because he's he's American and he's going to an American prep school, mm-hmm. but he's like counter because he won't wear the uniform or whatever. Cool. Uh, uh, but he's American and his name is James Bond Jr., but James Bond is his uncle. Uh-huh. And it's like, but I don't know. It was crap. <laughs> It was not, no, there was toys as well, so I'm pretty sure it was a, a whole series. I would imagine it was a whole thing. It wasn't just one episode on a weird VHS. We'll, we'll issue another correction. I wonder, is that VHS worth money? Karen's going to look up the value of VHSs in the next week. I don't remember much else on that. There was, um, I think, Inspector Gadget. There was an Inspector Gadget on it. I don't remember any other things. Um, there was that one about the troll things. I don't remember that. The gem trolls. No. I, I actually know what they're called, but I can't remember now. But Gar, overall, having seen this film, just to sum up, would you be looking forward to to the rescuers to down under yes i will take another jolly good time yeah. in australia mate I'm, good eye mate i'm looking forward to that episode too and i think that's the best thing you can say about this film i've been told how to do a good australian accent you just say good eye mate in a weird australian accent uh-huh. good good eye mate oh yes it does it, work it just it just it goes straight to the australian accent thank you liam my other podcast host for teaching me how to speak in australian yes you're not allowed to talk about the other podcast, even though you talk about this podcast. I, I, podcast. I, yeah, I plug Magic by Design on Wednesday War Games. Why can't I plug Wednesday War Games on Magic by Design? It's synergy, Ken. It's corporate synergy. Yes, it's, we're co-partners in podcasting. Liam, you're welcome to come on to critique the depiction of Australian culture in Rescuers Down Under. Yes. Liam will never hear this podcast. He won't. I think he listened to one episode or some of one episode because there is one listen in the Snow White episode from Australia. So huh. maybe he just checked it out. And just then see, never came back. Just to see how, how good we are compared to him. He, in fairness, he is also in the category of here is far too much of my voice, so I can't blame him. Yeah, that's fair. All right, rescuers, that's nearly it for the show this week. Our resident musical expert, Nicole, is coming up in just a few moments with a song from the movie. It's always worth waiting for, so be sure to stick around for that after the outro. 
You can find brand new episodes of Magic by Design every Monday, where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Check out our website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast providers. We recently entered Amazon Music. And uh, that means also Audible. Possibly. I checked. I couldn't find it. Oh, well then. Ken didn't do it right. Blame Ken. No, it's your fault for giving false information, you fake news spreader. You just couldn't get it done. Ken couldn't get the deal with Audible done. Audible isn't available on my... Actually, I went to listen to... I think it was Peter Pan when I tried to download Audible because I wanted an audiobook of Peter Pan. And then my iPod didn't support Audible anymore. I'm very upset. So I downloaded... I think it was Scribed, it's called. It has a bunch of audiobooks anyway. So. And it does support my iPod. So therefore, it is better than Audible. Cool story, bro. I wonder if our podcast on Scribe. Is that what, I don't even know is that the name of the app. I'm still paying for that app. I, might, really, I really should cancel those things. You've got a lot of things that you pay fashion. for and then forget about it. I played for Rev Pro for like two years and I'm like, well, I haven't watched this in two years. So that's 240 bucks probably down the drain or whatever. You're supporting local business care. Sure. Check out the website to find all our previous episodes if you're catching up or feel like revisiting an old favourite. Magic by Design is also on all your favourite social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod on twitter at magic design pod and on the insta at magic by design pod if you're a fan of the show please do consider giving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice no negative reviews we don't want that uh you could write your review on a uh, on a, a piece of paper or apartment uh, put it in a, a bottle you know and then send it off and the rescuers will find it and listen to our podcast yeah That's how we'll find out if they're real or not. Also, be sure to share the podcast on your socials or even recommend the show to a fellow Disney fan. We need you to rescue us from our torturous existence in podcast obscurity by fearlessly writing us a five-star review. Do it. Do it. Be a hero. Be a rescuer. You're a a mouse. Do you not want to be a mouse? Are you a man or a mouse? Are you a man? Sorry, are you a person or a mouse, Gar? Don't be sexist towards our female listeners. Are you a mouse? If I'm a mouse, then I'm a man of a mouse. That doesn't work. I lost the thread. A very manly mouse. There you go. We will be back next week at the same time, same place with Disney's 24th animated feature, The Fox and the Hound. But until then, stay safe and remember, through storm and rain and dark of night, one should never fail to do what's right. Beautiful. Now then, Nicole is here to sing us out with Someone's Waiting for You from The Rescuers, and she's also discovered some fun facts about the music of the film. Thanks for listening, and over to you, Nicole. Hello, my Disney lovers. It's me, your musical correspondent, Nicole, coming to you live from my bedroom. This week, we're following two tiny agents in The Rescuers. The songs were composed by songwriting duo Carl Connors and Anne Robbins, who first met on a double date in 1973. It's worth noting that this is our first female duo. Connors was the music composer, probably most known at the time for composing the song Gonna Fly Now, which was the theme song for the 1976 Rocky movie. She also sung lead vocals for the pop trio The Teddy Bears, featuring Phil Spector, whose only major hit was To Know Him Is To Love Him by Spectre. Robbins wrote poetry and lyrics, and also wrote the lyrics for Gonna Fly Now. Though they only composed 11 songs for an unproduced Christmas animation, they were invited to compose songs for Disney for the rescuers. For the first time since Bambi, the songs of the film formed part of the narrative and were not sung by the characters themselves. In total, four songs were composed by Connors and Robbins, including The Journey, Rescue Aid Society, Tomorrow is Another Day, and Someone's Waiting for You. Most of the songs are sung by vocalist Shelby Flint. The song I'm taking a look at this week is Someone's Waiting For You, 
which was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Sammy Fain, who we know from Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, collaborated with Connors and Robbins for this song. Here's my version. I hope you enjoy it. Be brave, little one. Make a wish for each sad little tear. Hold your head up, though no one is near. Someone's waiting for you. Don't cry, little one. There'll be a smile where a frown used to be. You'll be part of the love that you see. Someone's waiting for you. Always keep a little prayer in your pocket, and you're sure to see. Someone 